Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes and welcome to Seizing Life. My guest today is Stacy Piggott. Her experience as the current research chair for Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE, gives her the unique ability to help make epilepsy research more accessible, which is our topic for today. Stacy is the mother of Evan, Henry, and Ava. Additionally, she is the chair-elect for CURE. Stacy, thanks so much for coming back and chatting with us again. <laughs> Glad to be here. So tell us about your role on the research committee with CURE. So uh, I'm currently uh, the research chair of the research committee. Um, it's a group of board members, non-board members, past board members, um, uh, thought leaders that um, usually have some kind of personal connection to epilepsy. And they help kind of guide and give us feedback on our research uh, programs in helping provide us with a patient, a consistent patient perspective in the research. Which I think is important to know because, you know, while CURE is very focused on research, it's very, you know, it's patient-focused research, patient-centered research that is, is really the goal and the mission of, of CURE's research. Um, your background is in education. How did you find a passion for the research side of this disease? Um, it was really nurtured at about 2 a.m. Uh, like a lot of other epilepsy parents, when you get that diagnosis and you not only get the diagnosis, but in you know most cases it's, well, we don't know why your child has epilepsy. And you get that first medication, which so many of us unfortunately have experience with our child failing on that medication. And you take out the pamphlet and you see we don't know why this medication may or may not work, or here are all the side effects that may or may not happen. And so as a parent, and especially as busy, as understandably busy as all of the clinicians are, your access to the doctors and the nurses, um, you know, you usually come in with so many questions and a lot of them are so heavy um, that you find yourself in the middle of the night unable to sleep and trolling the internet trying to find any answer you possibly can. So that's how it started for me, of just seeking out answers um, and realizing that in that research, um, sometimes I could get answers, but usually it just caused more questions and just continued to drive that process. What advice do you give to the parents out there who find themselves scanning these, these research papers at 2 a.m. and not really being able to make heads or tails of it? For myself, I was very lucky to have uh, some mentors within CURE who really um, answered some of those basic questions like that you're asking me right now. Um, for starters, um, you have to have... Uh, a healthy acknowledgement that you are not a neuroscientist. You will never be a neuroscientist. And there are just some things you need to let fall away that you are not going to be able to compete in understanding with someone with a scientific background. From there, I think it usually starts too with what's your motivation? What are you looking for? I always find if I'm targeted and what I'm looking for, I read the research 
better. If I am looking up a specific medication mm -hmm. and what those what interactions may be with other medications or what the mechanism of that medication is working, whatever it may be. If I'm looking at mechanisms of epilepsy, if I'm looking at um, you know a, something specific on say genetics, that it just really helps. Um, I always start with looking at the abstract. That introduction to the grant is usually kind of a lay summary of what that research proposal is about. Um, lean onto that heavily and really dig deep into that. Um, so that kind of abstract as well as the conclusion are where I'll focus my energies. Um, I also, one thing I've also learned from a lot of other mentors was um, look at the model. Uh, is it a mouse model, for example? Well, mice and mice epilepsy and human epilepsy are not always the same thing. So you also have to recognize that, um, you know, some studies uh, can be impacted by the model that they're using. Um, anytime you have a study that's using, that's um, a clinical study or is using, you know, human tissue, you can have a little more of an assurance that it's a um, applicable study to the patient. Right. Explain what a model is. Too, so the model that's... is just in the lab mm -hmm. what they are, what the scientists are using to study whatever it may be that they're studying specifically. So, um, for example, you know, what has historically always been done are rats and mice. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the only problem is, is that they have to kind of often create epilepsy in a mouse. And that doesn't always mimic what happens to a human. So depending on what the study is looking at, it may not always apply um, as clearly as it should. So they have to create the model, they have to create the epilepsy in the animal before they can then proceed with their study about that specific epilepsy, Correct. which Correct. is a whole other step in this research whole process. Yeah. Huge. And it's a huge challenge for the field to be able to come up with an accurate model. Um, it's always very exciting when a group of scientists are able to find some kind of animal model that has an epilepsy that matches up with a human epilepsy. Um, that's very, very tricky. There's um, luckily, luckily there's some great progress being made. Um, you know, one cure researcher, Scott Barabin, um, started with zebrafish and that's been a fantastic model and was, you know, has been really exciting to kind of, um, uh, he still continues to use that model and that's really taken off. So it's, um, that's something to always think about. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy or CURE. Since 1998, CURE has raised more than $60 million to help fund over 220 cutting-edge epilepsy research projects in 15 countries around the world. Learn more at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. What have you taken from your interactions with these scientists? Because not everyone gets to meet the people who are doing the research that are out there trying to find the answers for our loved ones. What what is that experience like to be able to, to communicate with them and, and also to be the one who tells them that we're going to fund their research? I mean, it's, you're in a really cool position. It's been really fun. It, that has been um, probably the best day at CURE that we have that I know you've been in on as well is to be able to call a scientist and congratulate them that they have received funding for their research. Um, uh, so that is always really exciting. It also is... 
um, really exciting to always give them that patient perspective. So just as we approach the research with a patient perspective, when I'm communicating with the scientists, you know, it's very easy to just thank them for what they're doing for our kids and our loved ones. And likewise, they're really happy to have that feedback, to have a face go with that research. And um, it, it helps focus them as well. So I, it's always a really great um, uh, interaction, mutual admiration for what one another is going through um, in supporting. So it, that's been great. So I think for many people, they're aware, very you know, macro level, Cure's mission is to raise money for research. Mm -hmm. But a lot goes into that. So the money is there and now we're funding the research. How does Cure take it from that, you know, that donation to a research grant? Cure uh, has always had a very um, singular focus on the research answering those questions that are plaguing us at 2 a.m. Um, that's what draws, I think, a lot of our supporters, and I know it drew us to the organization. And once we are able to get a donation and we're able to um, use that money for research, the process starts with, um, we have a couple of different grant cycles. Um, we get uh, letters of intent from the scientists who send that our way uh, with an intent to um, submit a proposal. If that letter of intent seems to fit within our mission of no seizures, no side effects, if we feel that it scientifically is, um, has potential and fits within our specific grant cycle, we then um, ask that a select number of grantees write or send in their proposals. Once we get their full proposal, we have a process where we have a group of scientific reviewers who are friends of CURE in the field who have perhaps um, received grant money from us in the past or just have a long-standing relationship with the organization. And they so generously donate their time to, re to read all of these different applications every cycle. We have multiple scientists reading each application. We also have lay reviewers. We have a healthy cadre of um, of lay reviewers who are just families impacted by epilepsy. And we ask them to look at the proposals through a different lens. We ask them to really focus on the cure mission of no seizures, no side effects, and the patient perspective. And that's what they kind of um, analyze the proposals for. So once again, they're not expected to be the neuroscientists. No. You have the neuroscientists doing that, but that, that patient focus um, comes through through those lay reviewers. Exactly. So we kind of try to have that, you know, both sides mm -hmm. um, looking at a proposal. The lay reviewers and the scientists kind of approach the grants from two different angles, and we get them together on a conference call uh, for several hours and go through all of the grants with the scientists. Um, they've gotten to read and um, all the lay review reviews. The lay reviewers have gotten to read the scientific reviews, and they all kind of have a discussion about each grant and have the um, ability to change their scoring if they end up convincing one to a different score. And we then take those averages and we then take uh, the highest scoring grants and then we present it to our research committee. And our research committee 
goes over all, reads through the grants, reads through the scores, um, and provides feedback to our research, research team led by um, Dr. Laura Lubbers, who is our chief scientific officer. And so they're able, the research committee is able to provide another layer of feedback. And from there, um, Laura is able to kind of make a recommendation on what we fund, mm -hmm. um, taking into account all the scores, all the reviews, um, uh, and then makes a recommendation to our board of directors, and then our board of directors, who also have access to looking at the grants and whatnot, then vote to approve those grants. So it's it's a big process. There's so many people involved <laughs> yeah. just to get from point A to point B, and this is happening in multiple cycles a year. I mean, that's just yeah. Um, but it's it's incredible to me that that many people are involved in the decision that the process is that thorough and that you know through this cure funds some of the more out there research i would say not necessarily your standard nih grant shall we say the the research that may be a little more difficult to find funding but is still really exciting we have always sought to fund what we would call gaps in the field and look at things that other people are not you know certainly maybe wanting to look at but just don't have the funds and ability to do sure. so um, you know very early on uh, funding research into SUDEP was uh, huge absolutely huge and uh, through some really strong leadership by people like Gene Donnelty and Gardner Lapham, we were able to really um, address SUDEP within the field. And um, I think that one of the first things that we did that usually cure funds a lot of um, studies dealing with epileptogenesis, which is the mechanisms of how epilepsy starts in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the early things that we funded was a big um, SUDEP registry in Canada. Um, Canada was um, just given their healthcare system, they had a better mechanism for tracking patient data. Mm -hmm. And while we usually go a little more scientific on our grants, um, because there was such a lack of information about SUDEP, just being able to track patients who had sadly succumbed to SUDEP was really desperately needed in the field. And um, CURE was able to fund that, um, the great scientist Elizabeth Donner in um, Canada. So uh, that's one example where we've uh, found an early impact and did something that you know other groups were not doing. Um, as I had mentioned before about funding you know, zebrafish as a new model, um, tons of examples where Cure has looked for gaps and funded things that um, at the time were a gap, but have ended up becoming uh, a major part of the field that is um, able to be taken up, for example, by NIH. A lot of times we take a lot of pride when we're able to fund a group that um, almost seed a group that uh, can come up with the pilot data so that they then are able to apply to NIH and get even more funds and really let the research take off. So to our supporters who are interested in learning more about the research or educating themselves or getting involved, what ways can, can they do that? You know, I always found that there's uh, 
really a couple of different ways that you can um, have an impact um, for myself in having all these questions around epilepsy. I found, and, and we all know the total loss of control you have when you have a loved one with epilepsy. It is happening at any time. Um, it just overtakes your entire family, your entire life. And having an outlet where you can contribute, where you can um, make a difference, helps to give you a little bit of control in an uncontrollable situation. I couldn't agree more. And I, and to, to really make an impact, it's not just about reading the grants and educating yourself and learning about it. Um, it's using that research to also make yourself a better advocate for your loved one, ask better questions of the clinicians when you're talking to them. Um, you can, and, and that's why it's so critical too, um, when you have a clinician, you, you want to be an equal partner in that process and be able to advocate equally for your loved one um, of what medications they're on and, and so forth. Um, there is that piece too that in order to do such great research, we desperately need money to do it. And um, fundraising is a piece of that. So that's another way um, that you can really get involved. Um, that if you want to see the research move forward and you want to have an impact, um, if you someone wanted to be a lay reviewer for Cure, that's fantastic. Um, we're always welcome to inviting new lay reviewers. Um, and to be, that is not a Chicago specific. Correct. If our lay reviewers are all over the country. All over. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, um, but likewise, the research isn't going to happen if we don't have the funds to do it. Right. And organizing grassroots, you know, from lemonade stands all the way through to big benefits, every dollar helps. And that has a big impact as well. The average epilepsy parent caregiver may not have all of the time in the world to be going out there and doing the research themselves. Mm -hmm. What resources does CURE provide that can help deliver the research to them? Um, I think uh, for starters, if um, people go on the CURE website, they can certainly go and um, look under research and can see a lot of the different things that we're funding. Um, you can also sign up by your email to get some of our research summaries. And those um, are fantastic, where daily you can get an email summary of any new epilepsy research that has come out. And, and it's not just our, our um, donors who are relying upon those updates, mm -hmm. and, um, but we have a lot of our scientists who subscribe to those daily updates because they're, getting, they're using that as a way to get the latest news on epilepsy research as well. So it's really become a, an awesome way to kind of uh, daily get just updated on what's going on. And then there's ways to dig deeper and read, mm -hmm. but it, it is um, provided with the name of the research and a very quick lay summary of what that research accomplished or you know what their successes were. So um, that's a really great way to go about it. We've talked about how exciting it can be to follow the research that's coming out. Um, on the other side of that, have there been hard things that you've come across? Have there been challenges as you're watching the research come through, um, maybe that you didn't expect? I think the biggest uh, challenge is that 
when you have um, you know, these brilliant, brilliant, dedicated scientists who are in the lab and in the universities um, collaborating with lots of other scientists and whatnot, certain ideas, technologies, etc., cetera, um, obviously become incredibly intellectually stimulating to them. They're fascinating. They're, as you know, a lot of the scientists say, that's sexy science. They get just really drawn to it and think it's really cool. And it is, it is amazing science. However, sometimes that sexy science does not work for a patient. And having, there've been so many times when we read something, we say, okay, that idea is so cool, or that's fascinating. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I would use a laser in that way on my kid's brain. <laughs> you, I, you, you read it like, I, I don't think you're going to convince a parent yeah. to sign their child up for that study, for example, or whatnot. That's where sometimes that um, patient perspective that we're able to provide yeah. becomes a really critical voice. Yeah. Um, because if uh, it, the science has to work hand in hand with that patient perspective, at the end of the day, it's to bring it out of the lab mm -hmm. and to the bedside. Yeah. So. Well, and just that, taking it out of the lab to the bedside, the process. CURE is funding the initial research, but then in order to get it to the bedside, there's probably several more rounds of research that needs to be funded, be it by CURE or by the NIH or by some other organization, before it can ever even get to the bedside. And that process, um, it can probably be, you know, just the length of time can be a little discouraging. Yeah, I think anything that we can do as an organization to push that timeline to go faster. Mm -hmm. We are certainly interested in doing that. I think there are some advances that are hopefully going to start doing that. Um, the way genetics is exploding right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we're starting to find that precision medicine has um, some real opportunities for better diagnoses as well as better treatments. So hopefully we can move that forward. But in the past, 30, 40, 50 years, it just, oh it has gosh. not moved quickly enough. Um, and I think patients as well as the scientists would agree. Yeah. Stacey, thank you so much for teaching us about the research that CURE is doing <laughs> and sort of breaking it down for us in a, in a um, easy to understand non-neurosciencey way. So. Very non-neurosciencey <laughs> way, but it's a process and I, that I'm still going through and always happy to share. Well, we're greatly appreciative for all that you do for the organization. I want to thank Stacy again for her insights into how to make epilepsy research more accessible. If you want to learn more about epilepsy research, please check out the new Cure mobile app at the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, or your preferred app provider. Thanks so much. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.